word and your truth, and that it would just bring something of life to us tonight. Uh, Father, we ask that. Holy Spirit, you do what no one else could do, and that is bring revelation and truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in this uh, letter that was written by Paul to this group of Christians at Ephesus, it says, Now take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's the Christians. And for me, he says, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth, speak boldly to make known the mysteries of the good news or the gospel of Jesus. For which, now take note of this verse, for which I am an ambassador. Let me read it again. For which, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Really, I want to just, just first of all touch on the truth and the incredible little principle there in verse 20. It's just Paul's saying, I'm an ambassador in chains. He was actually in prison, that meant. He was imprisoned for his faith. And, and, and it almost seems like a, a statement that just, there's a common thought, um, a common terminology called an oxymoron. You know, uh, I've mentioned this before, but things that speak something, but they seem so silly, to, to, you know, they don't seem right. How can you be an ambassador, but in prison? Because if we were to think of the word in the terminology ambassador, an ambassador, if you're an ambassador from Australia to Britain, for instance, you know, as an ambassador, the reality is that what you would do is you'd go from Australia, you'd go to, you, you wouldn't fly in maybe some, um, you know, just uh, normal commercial um, plane. You might fly in a, a jet that they chartered for you because you're an ambassador. You'd go to Britain and there'd be a dignitary to meet you on the, uh, on the runway and they'd take you to uh, maybe uh, an, to a, a very nice restaurant for lunch, they'd give you gifts, they'd, they wouldn't just put you in an old house, they'd put you in a very nice house and you'd have people that would serve you and help you because you're an ambassador of a country in another country. And you know, it's completely different uh, to what the person who would be in prison would be experiencing, would you agree? And so to put ambassador and prison prisoner together seems so different. But I just was totally enthralled by that thought Paul's saying, I'm an ambassador. I'm a person who's representing something. I'm representing Christ. And you know what? I'm actually, even though I'm doing that, I'm in chains. And you know, the truth is, um, Paul is saying something very clear here. What he's saying is this, where I am is not who I am. Okay, just grab that. Where I am right now, I'm in prison, but it's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm a prisoner. That's where I am. But I'm an ambassador for Christ. That's who I am. I love that simple thought. Uh, you know, because I'm far greater than where I am. My, my job and my position and who I am is far greater than where I'm really located at the moment. And where I am is not who I am. Where I am right now is not who I am. And, and your where does not define uh, who you are. It's so true. Paul was locked up in a prison, but that didn't determine who he was. It didn't determine. He was an ambassador of Christ. Unfortunately, we can allow our circumstances, folks, and situations in life to define who we are sometimes. And when you find yourself is not, um, what you need to see is where you are, it's got nothing to do sometimes with who you are. 
because your circumstances want to always dictate to you and saying, uh, be defined by where you are when really uh, that's not the case at all. We don't need to be. Um, who you are tonight, if I was to talk to you and if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a, you're a child of the living God. That's who you are. Who you are tonight, if you know Jesus Christ, you're saved by grace. Who you are tonight, it says in Scripture, is that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's who you are if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a lot different sometimes to where we may be located in life right now and what circumstances we may be in. If you were to look at a couple Old Testament characters that might be common to most of us who who would recognize these names, if, if you were to ask a man like Joseph... Uh, Joseph, where are, uh, where are you? He would say, I'm in prison. And then you were to say to him, who are you? He says, uh, I'm a leader of, uh, um, I'm a leader yet to fulfill my destiny. In actual fact, he became second in charge of the Babylonian Empire. Incredible, man. If you were to say, take a guy like David and say, David, where are you? And he'd say, well, I'm a shepherd boy out in the field looking after sheep. And then you said, who are you, David? He says, I'm the next king of Israel. Completely different. If you were to ask Ruth and you said, where are you, Ruth? That young lady in, in the Old Testament um, and said, where are you, Ruth? And she would tell you, I'm in a foreign country with no husband and no children. And then, and who are you, Ruth? And she'd say this, I'm a relative of the future saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. Now, she mightn't have known that, I know. But reality is, let's just stretch it a bit further. If you were to ask Esther, Esther, that young lady, and say, Esther, where are you? She says, I'm a Jew who lives with my adopted, I'm adopted to my uncle. And, 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 and if you were to say, well, who are you, Esther? She said, I'm a lady with incredible influence to save a nation. Daniel, where are you, Daniel? I'm in a lion's den. Who are you, Daniel? I'm second in charge of Babylonian Empire. Sorry, that's the difference between him and Joseph. We got that one mixed up. But that's the truth. Who are, where are you, Jesus? I'm on a cross. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the son of the living God who's, who's going to die for, this, for the salvation of humanity. You see, you, where you are right now is not who you are. So important. You know, as I grew up, I was once an apprentice. <clears throat> worked for the Queen's Electricity Commission. And I remember the first four months of my apprenticeship, uh, there was, uh, they gave me a bag full of um, files and uh, lumps of metal, and we learnt how to file. And, you know, I could, you know, after four months, I could do it in my sleep. You had to file metal flat, flat. flat. And, you know, um, and we'd look at each other as apprentices and say, man, there's got to be a better day. <laughs> there's got to be a better day than this. And, you know, there was. And I'm just glad that I didn't define my whole life and my whole work life by where I was at that moment because it was a better day because I, I realized who I was. I just wasn't going to be, and that was fine because I was learning some of the, the you know, the principles of a apprenticeship was just do the little things well, as Jeff was saying earlier. If you learn to do that, you'll always learn to, you'll be better tradesman for it. That was what they were trying to teach us. And then when I finally become, uh, um, I remember in my, went to the power station, it was my first year there, and, and uh, my first supervisor, he was a lovely gentleman. He walked up to me about three inches from my nose and he says, I hate apprentices. That was my introduction to my apprenticeship days. And I, and I, looked, I looked and I thought in my head, there's got to be a better day. <laughs> It's got to be a better day. Praise God there was. And I'm just glad in those early days I didn't allow, uh, you know, to be defined where I was. I didn't allow who I was to, to be defined by those situations I found myself in, which, which were a bit awkward and a bit not nice at first. But I learned a lot out of that and we'll talk about that. So 
So, you know, I want to encourage us. Paul says, you know what? I'm an ambassador in prison, but, you know, where I am does not define who I am. And I think far too many people allow their lives to be defined by where they are at the moment, what circumstances surround them. I want to tell you there's a better day. There's a better day in Christ Jesus. With that in mind, can we now go from the last book of Ephesians to the first, sorry, from the last chapter of Ephesians to the first chapter? Let me read you some verses from there and we'll continue in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Hello. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 1. Therefore... Therefore, here we go. Therefore, I also, after I heard, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians, the very first chapter. This is the, the first, first things he said. He said, therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So far above every name, everything in this world, Christ is above all that. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him the head over all things to the church. That is a mouthful, isn't it? What a way to start a letter. Um, there is so much in there. Uh, we're not going to try and unpack everything, but I just want to encourage you with verse 16. I love verse 16 and the way Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus. He says this. He says, do not cease to, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And you know what? I make mention of you in my prayers. Interesting, isn't it? That Paul begins his letter to the Christians at Ephesus by praying for the people outside the prison. And I often, I've asked myself, how come Paul was, even though he's in a difficult circumstance, how can he be so willing to consider people that, are, that he thinks are even far worse than his needs at the time? I mean, he's in prison, they're not, and yet he prays for them. And I want to say there's only one reason why Paul has this attitude about others and not just himself is because he had determined and he knew who he was and that he had determined that who he was was not determined by where he was. And, you know, I, I love this thought. You know, out of the 155 verses in Ephesians, it takes to the 151st that he even talks about his imprisonment. He didn't talk about prison in the first five chapters. He just said, oh, by the way, in chapter 6, what we read earlier, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm in bonds. I'm chained. I'm in prison. It, it, it wasn't the major focus on his life. And, you know, I've discovered uh, because you know who you are, you never have to uh, have a reason to let the bars of life hold you back. And the prisons of life hold you back when you know who you are. So true. You don't have a reason. You don't have to then live through life always complaining and always say, well, you know this and grumble. You know, I've discovered there's always a reason to grumble, isn't there? There's always a reason to say, oh, this is not right and this is right. But you know what? It takes more of a man or woman to say, you know, to stand up and say, you know what? I know who I am and I don't need to get in that. I don't need to indulge in a woe is me attitude because I know who I am. And I believe that's who the kind of people, they, they have that attitude when they know who they are. 
You know, but when we focus on where we are and the circumstance around us, I want to be honest with you, you become pretty self-centered. And you can, you can, you're just consumed by yourself. And I want to tell you tonight, grow up. Because God wants you to be bigger than that. He's got far more. And until you can see the stars and not the bars, you never will break out of that prison. Until you see who you are in Christ and not where you are, you'll never come out of it. But he has a better plan and purpose for your life. And Paul, why was Paul so interested in praying for other people and not concerned about himself? It's because he knew the value of who he was. And he could see, hey, I'm praying for you guys out there. You know, some of you are in a prison and you're not really, it's a physical prison. Not a physical prison, it's a prison of your heart. I might be in a physical one, but I am free. (laughs) And so I want to encourage us, Paul, his incredible um, statement here. He says, you know what, I'm praying for you. Why could he do that? Because he knew who he was in Christ. And he wasn't consumed by where he was. So let me say this. When you know who you are and who you are is not determined by where you are, I just think you'll know three things that Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture. Three simple things. The power of these three things. When you know who you are and who who you are is not determined by where you are. And I want to encourage you. You know what? The first thing I bring really powerful is verse 18 up there. Paul says this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Here we go. So Paul says, I want you to know something. I want you to know. I want you to know this. What is the incredible inheritance in the saints? I want to say Paul's talking, when he talks about saints, he's talking about Christians there. He's talking about the community of believers. He's talking about the church. He's talking about us, Uh, not just us, but everybody who's a part of us, the church of the living God. He says, you know what, Paul says, I want to tell you, there's some things that you will only ever inherit, you'll only ever inherit when when, when you understand that you need to be a part of the body of believers. I want to tell you this, the power, when you understand who you are, you know the power of unity in the local church. The power of the the blessing of unity in your local church and being part of a local church. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you know, there's an inheritance for you, but you'll only ever find some inheritance when you connect with other believers in Christ and stay there and stick to it. Uh, I think it's powerful. And, and, And the truth is, let me break it down for you. If you're in hospital, no one from America is going to visit you. But someone from your local church will. Um, If you're going through a tough time in your life, no one from another country is necessarily going to give you a call unless they're a relative. But, you know, possibly there'll be someone from your local church. It's It's a valuable thing to be a part of a community of believers. And part of that. Someone once said this about the local church. It's like Noah's Ark. You ever thought of it this way? And uh, when you think about Noah's Ark, all those days they spent in Noah's Ark, uh, riding around on the sea, nowhere to land. It may be smelly, but it was the best thing afloat. And the church is like that. And you know what happens inside the ark? We have Brother Elephant. He comes along and he lifts his tail and he makes a deposit. And you go to Pastor Noah 
And when you go to Pastor Noah, you say, Pastor Noah, I don't like what Brother Elephant is doing. And you know what Pastor Noah will say? I can feel your pain. I don't like what Brother Elephant's doing either. But I tell you what, um, let, me just, uh, let me just help you understand something. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to be in here or would you rather be out there? Because out there is quite wet and very rough. And uh, what do you prefer? And the truth is, that's a question. What do you prefer? And then we sometimes have Sister Giraffe come into Pastor Noah's office and say, I can't, I, can I share something with you, Pastor Noah? And she's, he says, sure. Well, he says, Brother Skunk has a terrible body odour and we don't think we can handle it any longer. And Pastor Noah says, I feel your pain, I understand, but let me ask you, where are you going to go? Because there's not many options. And I want to say, stop giving yourself options. Because I think the, the church of the living God is still the best place on the face of the earth and is God's best plan and purpose for this world. And, the, and of course, Jesus Christ is ahead of all of that. You know, and Pastor Noah says, you can think it's all bad in here. Well, wait out. You can go out there and the waves are unlivable. You'll die out there. But what's in here is not unlivable. It's just uncomfortable. And uncomfortable is good because if you stay here long enough, you'll find that there will be an inheritance of blessing for you. It'll actually build your character and it'll make you a better person and you'll find that you'll be closer to Christ and not further away if you stick around and stay. And I want you to understand uh, when we come together, it's powerful. There's power in unity. There's power in praying together. There's power in the community of believers. And uh, the church is not an organisation that you need to join. It's a place where you belong. And you're loved, God willing, find healing and hope and help. And the reason we don't often stay in church is because our circumstances dictate to us who we are. And they tell us, stay away from that place of fellowship. And if we, because, you know, we have not yet determined within our heart that what, we're, what is happening is not who we are. We've allowed the circumstances to, to lead our lives and not who we are in Christ. See, um, when we realize who we are, we have a healthy sense of self-worth and we have a healthy sense of being a part of God's body, His people, His church. And you know what people do, don't scare us. And people would not, and you know, if we had a healthy sense of identity in Christ, there wouldn't be the, uh, we may find there'd be offense, but it wouldn't make us run away. I want to encourage us, it's powerful to know who we are and not be determined by where we are. The second thing, when you know who you are and who you are, when you know who you are is not determined by, by where you are, you'll know this. Not only the power of, the, of, of the, the church of the living God, but the power of his presence in your life. Let's look at verse 19 up here. It just says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Let me give it to you in a, another version called the Message Bible. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. The, the extravagant work of, of him in us, of those who trust him. You know, let's define it very clearly. If we don't trust him, don't, don't expect to receive the energy and strength and you know what I'm saying but if we're gonna be in Christ there's endless energy boundless strength if we would yield to him and allow our life to be handed over to him just as it is warts and all 
So the power of His presence in us, powerful. Because everywhere you go, I believe if we have His presence, something's got to shift. Everywhere we go, there's, we're, we're, we have the power to influence. We have, we have to, you know, we carry. We don't have to carry a big Bible, folks, and have all the religious jargon to allow God's presence to flow through us. Let's just, I think we understand that by now. You know, I once tried to get the biggest, when I was a young Christian, get the biggest Bible I could. And that's what I used to carry around. I soon learned it doesn't make an inch of difference. You know, we're living epistles, living letters, aren't we, how we walk? We're the, the influence, but it's His power within us. The Bible actually says you're like a, clad, a, J clad, um, a clay jar. <clears throat> and you're just clay, you're just dirt. And the truth is, but it has a hidden treasure inside, and that's with the power of our lives. And I want to say it's, it's incredible what God could do through us. And so when we walk with the power of God, there's an influence that we would exert upon others, not forcing others, but there's just something in your life that makes a difference even in someone else's attitude or life. You know, the truth is if you take boiling water on the stove and you take a normal carrot, and you place that carrot into the boiling water. It's amazing what can happen to the carrot. It's changed by the boiling water. Would you agree? And the way that it's changed is the carrot goes from being hard to soft. You know, this is, this is not a difficult chemistry lesson here. But the reality is it's changed. Its structure, its molecular structure is softened. It's affected by boiling water. It'll never be hard again. It's changed for good. It's changed for good. It's like, it's like when you take, uh, we won't go there, I'll just finish this one at first. When you take the same boiling, boiling water and you place a tea bag into that boiling water, the interesting thing is, is the tea bag doesn't change, but the boiling water changes. It's influenced by the, by the, the inclusion of the tea bag in its, in, within itself. And of course, what happens is the water will never be the same. It's, every colour is different. The taste of the water will never be the same because it's not water anymore. It's tea. It's very chemistry has changed. You can't take the tea out of the water. The water is affected by the tea forever, forever. There is power in that water now because the tea has infiltrated the water. And you know, when God's presence continues to touch our lives, it infiltrates us, it changes us for good. And I don't know anybody who's ever been changed completely, who could ever walk away from God completely again, who's ever really had a revelation or a touch upon your life, that moment when God's presence touches your life. And when we don't allow, see, the, the thing is, when we don't allow where we are to determine who we are, we'll see how God can flow through us and even touch other people's lives. When we know who we are in Christ, we'd be so much more open and responsive. Say, Father, your presence, your presence makes the difference. So Paul says one more thing. When you know who you are and who you are is not determined by where you are, you'll know this. And this is the last one. In verse 19, 20 and 21, let me read it again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only this age, but also in the name which is the age which is to come. 
As we look at these verses, can you see that God says, you know what, Christ died, he rose again, I've seated him above everything. His name is above every other name in this world. He says against every principality, every power, every element of darkness, every inch of demonic, I'm above all that. And then he says, even every name that is named. Have you ever thought about that thought? Every name that is named on this earth, Jesus says, my name is above every other name. And you know, tonight we sing about it, but the power of the name of Jesus can bring healing. The power of the name of Jesus can bring miracles. The power of the name of Jesus can change circumstances that we face. And, my, and His name is above every other name that's ever named on this earth. His, his name, uh, we need His name. We don't have to have the name of failure over our lives. Come on. Some of you speak that over yourself. Stop it. It's not the name Jesus gave you. He's given you a name that's above every other name. You don't, need to, you don't need the name fear over your life. You don't need, get rid of the name jealousy over your life. Come on, how about you get rid of the name loser and the name impossible over your life? The name poverty or the hopelessness or the name worry or anxiety or uselessness. Stop allowing these names in your lives to rule your heart because Jesus has this name of Jesus that is above every other name. Come on, the name of sickness over our lives. We have the name of Jesus. I grew up as a little, well, I didn't grow up too far. And there was, I was a little baby and it wasn't too many months into my life that my mother had to take me back to the Brisbane hospital. Because every night when my mother put me down in the morning, my bed sheets would just wake up totally um, uh, just um, saturated with fluid. What had happened is my lungs would fill up with fluid and I'd come out of my mouth and I'd be just all night like that. And so as a little baby, what would happen is the doctors said, we, we need to do something about this. And my mother took me back to the Brisbane uh, Children's Hospital there in Brisbane. And they, my mother tells me the story. I didn't know any of this. And my mother tells the story. How They tried everything. They gave me every medication they could. They tried to help me out uh, as a little child. This is a 1963. They just couldn't, they just didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do with me. And of course, after a while, the doctors, <clears throat> the doctors found themselves saying to my mother, we haven't got any more answers. In actual fact, I know I've, I've shared a bit of this story before, but they said to my, my parents, they said, you know, by the age of 12, James will actually have false teeth. And my mother said, why? They said, well, we're giving him so much medication and medication had so much sugar in it in those days. They said, by the, this is what they literally said, by the age of 12, false teeth. Well, folks, they're mine. And that's good news, isn't it? So they brought... So they, uh, you know, there was, there was an element of hopelessness in their voices. And they thought, there's no hope that they tried. They give it up trying to mend my problems. And that's, uh, and that's what my mother tells me. And, uh, and, we, and she tried everything, or they tried everything, and nothing seemed to work. And they, had, they didn't know what to do. But my mum tells the story, and she says, suddenly, suddenly, isn't that an interesting word? Because it's mentioned in the Bible, suddenly, I started to get better. Now, to this day, they don't know why, but suddenly I started to get better. I suddenly started to eat properly. I suddenly started to do what normal little babies should do. And eventually, folks, after, after about six months in the hospital, they took me home. And you know what? I got better, and I got healthier, and I got stronger. And I wish I could tell you that a man, a woman of faith, came along and into that hospital or into that home and prayed for me. But, you know, that didn't happen. But what I had was a mother who didn't give up on me. And even though she was... A, probably not the strongest of Christians. She just, she didn't stop asking God in the name of Jesus to let me live. And all I can put down to it was her simple prayer using the name of Christ and saying, in the name of Jesus, he'll live. And I lived. 
and want to say it's a powerful name. And when we know who we are, we will know that we could use that name powerfully and it'll be with authority. In many ways, my mother didn't let the circumstances of where she was determine who she was. She was only 28. She already had three little girls. Well, they were nine, seven and five. I was the fourth child. She had to live in Brisbane. My dad was looking after them in, in a little old farm outside of Gympie and scraping together um, money to pay for the bills out of, you know, um, small crops. And, you know, they, they didn't allow the, where they were to determine who they were. And even though they didn't have all the answers and they didn't have maybe all the faith, they just simply knew that they could only had one place to go, and that was the name of Jesus Christ. And they declared it, and the results are evident. So even when you're in a difficult circumstance, remember, that does not determine who you are because there's power in the name of Jesus. Thanks, team. Even when you're in difficult circumstances, remember, that does not determine who you are. Where you are does not determine who you are because there's power in the name of Christ. And when you determine, when you really find out who you are in Christ you'll understand the power of being in a healthy environment of community of believers. And when you know who you really are, you'll, you'll find the power of His presence as a believer. When you know who you really are and confident and healthy in your self-esteem, you'll know the, you can know the power of the name of Christ and use it with authority. So can we stand tonight as we close? We're going to just sing this song in a moment. And I just, I want us just to be honest with ourselves just for a moment. Just give yourself just a moment, um, not to be distracted, and just to consider tonight. Where do I stand with Jesus Christ? Where do I really stand with Jesus? Maybe you've never been asked this question, but I ask you tonight, not because I'm um, any better than anybody else, but because it's an important question. If I was to die tonight, where would I go? Heaven or hell? Am I assured? Am I confident of knowing who Jesus Christ is? Do I really know Him or do I use Him just as a spare will in times of trouble? Because God wants you to know Him and not just know about Him. And His Son, Jesus Christ, actually did come and He did die to take our sin. And, and our response to that is to just repent of our past and walk into His blessing. And, ex and He accepts you as you are right now. And says, yeah, I want to make you a child of mine. And so tonight I, I'd simply ask you, if you would like me to pray a prayer with me of commitment to Jesus Christ, if that's what you need to do tonight, and you want to say yes to Jesus, I'd invite you just to lift your hand. And I'd invite you then, after you lift your hand, I'll invite you that we would pray together. And it would be a simple prayer of commitment and response to Christ. Have you ever committed your life to Christ? Well, he would say, he would ask you tonight. So how about we just sing this song just for, the, for a moment and you consider that.
longer is slave.